So I do want to do a review from last week. And, and again, this is just, it's going to be several weeks, and I don't exactly know how many weeks long it might be. You're just talking about how to pray. You know, a lot of us, like we said, like we discovered last week, we talked about it a little bit. A lot of us really struggle in our prayer lives for a variety of reasons. Sometimes we might be intimidated. Sometimes, you know, maybe the words just, just fail to reach us. We don't know exactly what to say. We don't know exactly how to talk to God. Um, sometimes we're fearful. Sometimes we just don't think we have the time available to dedicate to God for serious, intimate prayer. Sometimes we're just too hurried. And I can't remember if I mentioned this to you last week or a week before, but it just kind of came out in the middle of my sermon. We live in a hurried and busy society. As far as I'm concerned, this is probably one of the largest obstacles to our prayer lives that are out there. I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to guess that you're probably a lot like I am. You sit down to prayer a lot of times, and you've got everything else on your mind except for prayer. I don't have time to pray. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. And your minds, or my mind anyway, very often is just scattered. It's all over the place because I got to get stuff done. I got stuff I got to tend to. I got to go to work. I got to. I got family. I got to tend to. I got friends. I got to tend to. I got to run this errand. Run that errand. Busyness and hurriedness is one of our biggest obstacles to prayer, and it has been for a long time. Long, long time. And I, I would venture to guess, you know, probably forever, is we just don't know how to slow down. We just don't know how to slow down. One of the best books I've ever read next to the Bible was a book or is a book called Celebration of Discipline. Has anybody ever read that book? If you don't read another Christian book in your lifetime on, on Christian disciplines, spiritual disciplines, spiritual practice, read this book called Celebration of Discipline. It's by a guy named Richard Foster. And it's, a, uh, it's an older book. It's been around for about 40 years. But this is the one, again, I'll put it, I'll not, I won't put it next to the Bible, but after the Bible, it's probably the most important or most influential book I've ever read in my lifetime as far as, um, as, far as you know, deepening and enriching my spiritual life. I highly, highly encourage that. But in, in that book, the author, uh, Richard Foster, talks about this a little bit. And here's one of the quotes that he says. He says, busyness and hurriedness is not of the devil. It is the devil himself. Busyness and hurriedness is not of the devil. It is the devil of himself. Superficiality, Foster writes, is the curse of our age. You know what superficiality is? It's wearing our religion on the surface. It's saying I got a lot of beliefs, but my life with God really is not that intimate. It's really not that deep. It's not that enriching. That's what superficiality is. And a lot of that is due simply to the fact that we just, we're too doggone busy. We're too busy for God. Anyway, last week I talked to you guys, um, and I told you that a lot of the material that we're going to be covering comes from this other book, which is probably the second best book I've ever read on prayer that I discovered a couple of years back, and it's by a guy named Peter Gregg, G-R-E-I-G. -E He's a pastor over in the United Kingdom. And again, it's a very simple book. It's so simple that they actually put it in the title, How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People. And it's, again, as far as just, you know, getting down to the bare branches and just giving us a foundation of how to start, or even if we think that we're experienced prayers, um, this book will help anybody, from the novice to the, you know, the most experienced person in our, in our church. I just thought it was one of the... Uh, 
again, one of, the, one of the better books that I've ever read strictly on the subject of prayer. And a lot of the material that we're going to talk about is coming out of this book. Um, we discussed last week that a lot of our misgivings, a lot of our issues with prayer, sometimes is simply that we've never been taught how to do it. We come to church, we, we get saved, we have this intimate, this, this, this experience of God, we're excited, we're on fire. People tell us two things. This is, this is our discipleship program. Pray and read the Bible. Wonderful advice, great advice. Pray and read the Bible, absolutely. The problem is we fail 99% of the time to teach people how to pray and read the Bible. And they lose it. You know, they get, people get confused, they get lost, they get lost in the crowd. Because they don't know how to pray a lot of times. Something that simple. So that's what we're going after. How do we pray? With all that in mind, we kind of introduced a, uh, a basic model for prayer. Carl, can you throw that one up for me, brother? This is a basic model that any of us can use. Again, whether you're, whether you're starting, whether you're a novice, whether you feel intimidated by prayer, or whether, whether you've been in the church for four or five decades and you pray on your knees uh, three, four, five times a day. This is just a simple thing that we can all utilize in our minds and our hearts to, to follow, to structure our prayer lives. And it's an acronym, P-R-A-Y. It's very, very easy to remember. P stands for what? It stands for pause. It stands for, bas it, just, it basically just means stop the hurriedness. Stop the hurriedness, stop the busyness, intentionally set time to sit down with God. Just sit down with God. Before we even start talking at God, before we even start asking things of God, before we start talking to Him, just sit down and empty our minds for a second and just rest in the presence of God. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. The R stands for rejoice or it stands for reflect. And this, this is, has to do with worship. This, is, this has to do with praise, adoring God, worshiping God. Talk to you guys a little bit maybe about introducing uh, recitation of the Psalms or some of the Psalms in these portions of your prayer. A stands for ask. This is where oftentimes, most of the time, most of us spend a lot of time in our prayer lives asking God for things, petitioning God, asking God for things for ourselves or practicing intercession, interceding, praying for others, praying for, praying for other people, praying for other events, whatever. And then the Y stands for yield. And that, is, that, can, that can contain confession, for example. All of us need to confess our sins. It can contain uh, repentance. It's where we're yielding ourselves to the will of God. We are yielding ourselves. And it also is a call to sit again in silence. It's very similar to the pause part to a degree. A lot We need to learn to listen to God, not just talk to God, not just at God, but learn to listen to God. He'll reveal his will to us if we allow him. Secondly, we gave you a short motto to remember to kind of keep in your minds as we're approaching God, as we're approaching our prayer life, not to keep it not just so that we don't complicate our prayer lives. Keep it simple, keep it short, and keep it real. I'm sorry, keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up. Keep it simple. We don't have to pray long, 30, 45-minute lofty prayers to God. I told you guys last week, you know, I remember sitting in church as a kid and even as an adult, you know, you'd hear these guys stand up in church and every other, every two or third word out of their mouth is a thee or a thou or a hast or hat. And uh, it, we'd like to pray like that is what I'm getting at. It's just a conversation with God. That's all we're doing. We're just conversing. So keep it simple. Talk to God like you talk to me or, or Donnie or Paulette, any, Al, anybody. Just talk to God like that. Keep it simple. Keep it real. God knows our thoughts before we even think about telling him our thoughts. 
God knows what's going on in our hearts long before we even think about telling him what's going on in our hearts. God knows what we need or what we think we need long before the thought of even petitioning God for these things goes on in our hearts. God knows if we're experiencing anger. He knows if we're mad. He knows if we've got a resentment. He knows if we've got hatred in our heart. All of that. And guess what? It's okay to take that stuff to God. The people in the Psalms, one more time, do that all the time. God can handle whatever stuff we got to throw at him, okay? God can handle it. So be honest with God. Be truthful. Be true and be real. Finally, keep it up. Persevere in your prayer lives. Don't stop praying. If you don't feel like praying, pray anyway. Keep it up. A lot of times I don't feel like praying, but I've learned to do this little trick. That's probably when I need to pray the most. Even when we don't feel like it. Pray anyway. I think God honors that too, by the way. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's faking it. I think, I think that's a real sacrifice. What could be more sacrificial than going to God even when I don't feel like it? And lastly, last week we talked about the fact that we're going to be exploring several different paths of prayer or several different elements of prayer. We're going to be talking about stillness. Uh, adoration, again, petition, intercession, perseverance, contemplation, listening, confession, and we're going to talk about spiritual warfare. Today we're going to focus on two of those. Two, we're going to focus, hopefully not too awful long, on, uh, on stillness and adoration. Stillness and adoration or worship. So looking towards the idea of stillness, I'm going to point you to one small verse in the Bible that every single person in this sanctuary I'm sure is familiar. Psalm 46, verse 10. Psalm 46, verse 10. This is going to be our foundational verse, our foundational scripture, but I'm going to give you a lot more where we understand and where we apply the idea of simply sitting still before God. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. I talked to you guys um, two or three weeks back. I can't remember when it was. I talked to you guys briefly about my mom who passed away several years ago. And probably in the last year of her life, Psalm 4610 was the verse that she lived by. It's the verse she quoted to herself, and it's the verse that she quoted to everybody else around her. Anytime her family would be aggravated, frustrated, agitated, chaotic, she'd say, Jerry, be still. Jerry, be still. Know that he is God. And believe it or not, that always kind of that always kind of recentered me when I thought about that. Simply being still in the presence of God. And of course, that goes with our peace our prayer model. It goes with the pause, our prayer acronym. Again, here's a quote from Richard Foster, who I mentioned a minute ago when it comes to this idea. He says, in contemporary society, our adversary, our adversary majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. Another gentleman by the name of Blaise Pascal, who I'm sure probably very few folks have heard of, he was a 17th century Christian um, theologian. He's, he wrote this, he said, all of humanity's problems, this is a great one, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room. It's pretty profound, isn't it? 
That's also a pretty doggone truth. All of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to simply sit quiet in a room. How hard is it for us to sit quiet? Here's some more scriptural references, by the way, on this idea of sitting still. If you think this is just a random, uh, random idea that I'm throwing at you, it's throughout the Bible. It's throughout the Bible. Here's a few more scriptures for you, and here's a few more examples from the very life of Jesus himself. Ecclesiastes 3.7 says there is a time to be silent. Ecclesiastes 5.2 says do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter with your mouths anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. Again, we discussed a little bit last week that Christ himself frequently spent time alone in stillness, in solitude, in silence. In Luke chapter 4, we all remember that prior to beginning his public ministries, he spent 40 days by himself. Luke chapter 6, before Christ chooses his, his 12 disciples, he spent the night alone praying to God. Matthew 14, when he heard of the death of John the Baptist, he withdrew from the crowd privately to a solitary place. After feeding the 5,000, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. That's a quote directly from Matthew 14, 23. Luke 5, 16 says he often withdrew to a lonely place and he prayed. So you find this idea throughout the Bible and you also find it in the example, the very example of Christ himself, how Christ modeled his own prayer life. The first step to encountering a deeper prayer life is just to learn to stop. It's to learn to stop and simply sit still in the presence of God, in the presence of our Creator. In our book, the one that we're using, the one that I'm using to base this sermon on, to base this series on, the author writes this. He says, stillness and silence prepare our minds and they prime our hearts to pray from a place of greater peace, a place of greater faith, and a place of greater adoration. Maybe one of the easiest ways or one of the best ways to look at it is like this. Maybe the best way to start praying is to actually stop praying. To begin with. Maybe the best way to start praying is actually to stop praying. To be still. To put down all of our lists. To put down all of our expectations. To put down all of our personal agendas that we have before approaching God. So again, I've said this multiple times. Maybe it's time to stop talking at God. And just sit in the wonder of who God truly, truly is. Psalm 37, verse 7 states this, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. It's everywhere, guys. One more uh, quote from the book. Moments of stillness at the start of prayer time are moments of surrender in which we stop competing with God. We stop expecting everything and everyone to orbit our preferences. We recenter our priorities on the Lord and we acknowledge that He is in control. And we are not. Oftentimes I'll start my prayer time something like this. And this is just, this is just uh, maybe something you want to copy or, or modify for your own prayer time. It's, I didn't, this isn't an original. I'll learn it from somewhere else. But a lot of times before I go to prayer, I'll just I'll sit still. And I'll say, um, 
You know, God, as I enter my prayer time now, I simply pause to be still and I open myself to the reality of your presence. And that's how I introduce myself to God a lot of times. And then I just sit still for a while before, start talk, before starting to talk. Remember last week we talked about, you know, I told, or I told you that much of what we're going to be dealing with, much of what we're going to be, um, is going to be the foundation for this series is, again, how Jesus taught us to pray through the Lord's Prayer. We looked last week at, uh, I believe, uh, the Lord's Prayer, out of the, or the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. The Lord teaches us to pray out of the Gospel of Luke. And I told you that the Lord's Prayer is found in two places. It's found in Matthew and Luke. The Matthew version is the one that we generally pray together. It's, uh, it's the longer version. But anyway, what's the first thing that Jesus teaches us to do? When they say, Lord, you know, teach us to pray, what's the first thing Jesus tells us to do? He tells us to pause, basically. What's the first line of the Lord's Prayer? Our Father in heaven. Pause and address God. Recognize the presence of God who is with us. Our Father in heaven. It's actually pause. Address the Lord with some sense of affection. It's just a few simple words that we gloss over. Every time we pray together that Lord's Prayer, yet they have such depth. So again, I want to read to you our second scripture out of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 9. Because this is the foundation not only as we address God initially, our Father in Heaven, but it also brings us to the rejoice, to the R in our prayer bottle, the acronym Rejoice, Reflect. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The Luke version says, Father, hallowed be thy name. Christ begins the Lord's Prayer with an invitation to worship. He begins the Lord's Prayer with an invitation to adoration of God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Everybody knows what that word hallowed means? Today's Halloween, by the way. You know what that means, right? It's, it's, it means holy. Holy is your name. Holy be your name, Lord. Christ tells us to begin our prayers with worship and with adoration. You see, we're hardwired to worship. And this is a freebie. We're hardwired to worship. We are born to worship something. There's something inside of us, whether we're Christian or not. There's something inside us from birth that calls us to worship something. And every single person in this sanctuary, every single person outside of this sanctuary, every single person on the face of the earth today is worshiping something. May not be God, but they're worshiping something. This is our invitation to worship our God. Hallowed be thy name. When we begin our prayers with a pause, when we begin with stillness, we start, we sit in the awe of the presence of God. And if we truly recognize that presence, if we truly stand in awe and amazement and appreciation, the only proper response really is worship. If we stand in that amazement of what Christ has done, of who God is, the only proper response, how can we not worship? How can we not be prompted to worship our Creator? How big is God? How vast is God? How vast is the love of Christ? Doesn't that prompt us? It does me. And Jesus tells us the same thing. He starts the prayer off of this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be
be thy name. It's a call to worship. We stand in amazement. Our book, again, tells us to linger here for a while, to linger here while we're worshiping, rejoicing in God's blessings before we even start thinking about going on to ask for more. We are invited in these opening lines into a level of intimacy, by the way, with God that would have been completely foreign at the time to the disciples. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Y'all who have been in this church for a long time know what I'm about to say. You're going to be very familiar with this word. Somebody tell me. I'm sure somebody knows. What did Christ call God? I'm looking for one more term. Looking for a Greek term. And <laughs> Daryl says, no, I'm out. <laughs> he called God Abba. That's how Christ referred to God. He, he, he did call him Father. Of course, that's in, that's, of course, that's in Scripture. He also called him something else. He called him Abba. And this, again, would have been... This should, this should also bring us to a great place of worship with God. But this also would have been a foreign idea to the disciples in that age. Because Abba means something a little bit different. Abba means something a little bit different than, than God. It means a little bit something different, Margaret, than Father. It would have been a bigger term. It would have been an, a very, very intimate term. Disciples didn't have this kind of real intimate relationship with God the Father until Christ came along and he taught them. He taught them about the God that did care about every minute detail of their lives. God the Father who loved them unlike any would ever had, ever, ever would. And he called him Abba. And the closest word that we probably have that in the English language is the word daddy. Now, the word daddy is a little bit more intimate, a little bit more meaningful, a little deeper than father or just God. And he would have taught him that. This is the intimacy that he's teaching. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Abba in heaven. And that's the same kind of relationship we've got with him, by the way. God is our Abba. He is our Abba. He's the one that cares about every single minute detail of our lives. Everything. One of the biggest hindrances we have, and I want to spend just a second on this. A lot of times, now this is probably doesn't apply to most of you, I'm sure, but a lot of times one of the biggest hindrances that we have towards prayer and towards worship are the false ideas that we have about the character of God. This is why people don't go to God in prayer a lot of times. Are the false ideas that we have about God's character. Maybe we've created these ideas on our own. Maybe somebody has instilled these ideas into our heads at some point. But the way that we feel about God, the way that we feel about or believe who God is, will reflect directly how we approach God in our prayer times, or if we approach God at all. How do we see God? How do we see the character of God? When I think about the, what's God made of. What's his primary characteristics? What's his personality? Do I approach God with the sense that I see a vengeful creator? Is that his primary characteristic? Vengeance. Do I see him as scowling at me? Do I see him perpetually disapproving of me? Do I see him as always being disappointed in me? Or do I, see, do I feel like I have to have this need every time I approach him to persuade him in some way, shape, or form? 
to do something for me because of the heavy, heavy weight of guilt that I have. I think I talked about this early on in my, since coming to Bemis. If the idea of the character of God is any different than the character of Jesus Christ, it's not God we're worshiping. Okay? Jesus and God are one and the same. We call, and the Holy Spirit. We call that the Holy Trinity. Okay? You can't divide these things. You can't have one God whose primary personality consists of vengeance and nastiness. And another one who is love and mercy. Now, I know what some of y'all are thinking. I'm going to get to that in just a second. But these are, at the end of the day, the primary qualities the character of God. The primary qualities of the character of God is not somebody constantly wagging a finger in your face. A lot of times this is what people teach. A lot of times this is what people embody. A lot of times this is the, this is the God that people believe in. That's a scary God. That's a frightening God. Fear may be a really good motivator, but it's also a short-term motivator. That's not the God of the Bible. By the way, that's not the God of the Old Testament either, if you're thinking that. It's the God of Christ. And again, if the God that we worship, the God that we believe in, if his, if his character is different from the character of Christ that we read about in the Gospels, it's not God. Okay? Christ makes God's character perfectly clear in one of the most familiar parables of the Bible, of the New Testament. That's the parable of the prodigal son. Y'all remember that? This son who took his father's money, who took his money before he died, went off, spent it all over the place, partied, wound up literally eating with the pigs. And he came back begging for his father's mercy. And we're reading that. I'm going to read that to you once, some, sometime. But we're reading that story. And this, this kid comes crawling back to his dad after losing everything and making all these horrible mistakes. And that dad's not standing there shaking a finger in his face. He's not standing there looking for retaliation. He's not standing there looking to say, I told you so. Gospel tells us that he ran to his son with open arms. The word in the gospels actually is that the father was filled and this is it. This is it, folks. Not with anger, not with disgust, not with revenge, but the Bible says that the father was filled with See you mouthing the words about that. Compassion. That's the God that we serve, folks. If you have an idea, again, of a different God, it's not Him. The God that we pray to, the God that we worship, is extravagant. He is extravagant with His kindness. He's one who comes running towards us with open arms, even when we mess up. God's always on our side. He's always on our side. I talked to you about the Old Testament God. If you guys think that those two are different, by the way, here's an Old Testament verse that you can reference. Exodus 34, verse 6. The very nature and the character of God through the words of God himself, by the way. He says that he is a compassionate and a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Those are God telling us directly, by the way. Those are the very words of God recorded in the book of Exodus. This is who I am. I'm a compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Now, guys, 
I don't know about you guys, but that to me is a God that's worth some adoration. That's a God that's worth some worship. That's a God worthy of our praise. We should be drawn, like I said a minute ago, what's our response to God? It, sh it, should, be, it, should, be, it should be worship, adoration. God's love should draw us to that. Here's what happens. The deeper that we receive our identity as dearly beloved children of God, the book of Ephesians talks about that. It talks about us being dearly beloved, beloved children of God. The more that we absorb that, the more that we receive that identity, the greater our desire is going to become to spend with God in prayer. Now, talking about having talked about the love of God, the mercy of God, the compassion of God, the graciousness of God. There's one more issue that we need to approach when we're going to Him in prayer. There's also a tendency on the other side of this for us to fail to recognize and embrace the holiness of God. Again, hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. God is a God of love and abounding in mercy and grace and forgiveness. He's also a God of holiness. And a lot of times that's something that we fail to embrace. We want to be loved, but we don't want to be accountable. This is part of who God is too. John, the first chapter of the Gospel of John, has a, has a verse in it. Absolutely beautiful once you, once you think about it and really absorb it. But it, but it says that Christ came... Christ came to us full of grace and truth. He doesn't say that Christ was the balance of grace and truth. He says, he says that, God was the, that Christ was the fullness of it. He was full of this grace. He was full of this love, this mercy, this kindness, this generosity. At the same time, he was full of his holiness. He was full of his purity, as we like to say, as we like to talk about. of abstaining from sin by honoring God. Just so, just as so many of us fail to recognize that God actually loves us. And by the way, He actually likes us too. He may not like some of the stuff that we think, say, or do, but He likes us. He likes us a lot. He loves His creation. He likes His creation. But just as many of us fail to recognize that God actually likes us and loves us, there's just as many who fail to recognize His holiness. And we fail to subject ourselves to God's purity. It's the perfect fullness of what the Gospel of John was talking about. This truth and this grace that are in the character of Christ. And to me, anyway, this is my opinion, this should lead us to a great reverence, a great awe, a great worship and adoration of God. So let me encourage you to do that. If you're not, if you're not incorporate this into your prayer lives. Start incorporating just a time of gratitude, a time of thankfulness, a time of appreciation. Let God know that you're truly thankful for all of our blessings, and we are blessed. We are blessed beyond measure. Other ways that we can work that into this is, again, my pray in the Psalms, and I, and I wish I'd brought some more material, but I didn't. And I'm encouraging you guys to do this one more time. This is, this is a habit that I picked up within the last year and a half or two years. And it's an, it's an old, old, old ancient habit uh, of praying the Psalms along with your prayer. Most of the Psalms, to some degree or another, are all about worship, or at least they have some form of worship. 
in, a, in their verses, most of them. Go through the Psalms. Add these to your prayer lives. It's a wonderful way to do it. Another wonderful way to do it, Kevin, is, is through music. And I can tell you, brother, you worship God through music, my brother. I can tell it. I can tell it every Sunday because I see that smile on your face. I see, <laughs> I, see that, I see that gleam in your eye, man. And I'm thinking, Kevin, Kevin's not up there performing. He's up there worshiping God. A lot of us worship different ways. We can do it through music. We can do it through our prayers. We can do it through prayer books. That's why I brought this prayer book today. This is one. I don't know if you guys know or not, but I'll give you a little history lesson. The United Methodist Church, the Methodist Church in general, come out of the Church of England. And uh, John Wesley, who started the movement, him and his brother Charles, that Charles, they were, they were, they were uh, ministers in the Church of England. When they died, they were still ministers in the Church of England. Um, there was no Methodist church, per se, by the time that they died. That, that came a little bit afterwards. But those are part of the, what we call the Anglican churches. Some of you guys may be familiar with the Episcopal churches. All of those are kind of in the same family. Since forever, these, these churches have had what they call a book of common prayer. And there's, diff there's, different, there's different ones out there. This particular one came from uh, the Anglican church in North America. And most of them, for the most part, are very, very similar. But I started praying through this book a couple of years ago. Remember, I think I told you last week, sometimes we just don't have the words. And that's where these come in handy. They come in real handy to me. And there's, uh, there's just so many prayers throughout this one. You know, there's, there's a prayer for morning time that incorporates a lot of the Psalms, a lot of the Scriptures. It incorporates the Lord's Prayer. incorporates praying the Apostles' Creed. There's, there's confession and there's repentance in it. There's a midday prayer in here. There's an evening time prayer in here. There's even a nighttime prayer. You go to bed prayer in here. It's, a, it's just a beautiful resource, and I've, I've gotten a lot for, from it. And again, there's psalms throughout. Every single prayer that's in, that's, that's in these includes, includes some form of worship through reading, through reciting the psalms. So maybe that's something else you want to check out. From our book, the invitation to adoration means that we greet our Heavenly Father by name. We meet Him with a smile. We receive Him as the loved one that He truly is. And we respond to His kindness with our kindness respond to his presence with our presence and we respond to his love with our love so again go back to your prayer moment pause practice stillness reflect rejoice worship and adore the god that we serve i am actually probably going to take a break next week from uh from the from the series on prayer so that we can uh, celebrate all saints day together and honor our honor all of our brothers and sisters who've gone on before us, but we'll get back um, to it the week after. We're probably going to be talking about uh, petition, what we ask God for when we, when we go to God in, in petition and when we go to Him in intercession, praying on the behalf of others. Uh, at some point or another, we'll be looking about preserve, persevering, which we've talked about a little bit already, and how to respond to unanswered prayer. That's a big one for a lot of us, and we're going to touch on that. How do we respond when God doesn't give us what we want or when we think that God doesn't give us what we want? When things don't go our way or the way that we expect them to. Kevin, you guys mind coming on up, brother? Keep it simple. Keep it real. Keep it up. I want to open up the altar for prayer uh, this morning. If anybody feels the need to come and pray at the altar, please do so. If you have any needs in your life, uh, if you have anything you need me to, you would like for me to pray with you and for you and over you, I would be more than, I would love to. I would love to, God, to pray for you guys. So the altar is open.